Welcome to Cup of Cubby Blue. Your baseball might kind of sort of almost be back home for Cubs news updates and banter. We're the official podcast of Bleed Cubby Blue, which is part of the SB Nation family of team sites. And you can find us on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts by searching for Bleed Cubby Blue. My name is Sarah Sanchez. I write about baseball, life without baseball, maybe the potential return of baseball in a pandemic for for Bleed Cubby Blue. Uh, and I'm pretty ex- like maybe almost excited today. Hi guys, I'm Andy Cruz. Be in a second. I'm just going to go ahead and say that I am cautiously optimistically excited. <laughs> Does that work? Does that, 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 those amount of adjectives work? <laughs> I, yeah, I think it does. I, I was thinking about you when, uh, the news broke that there would be maybe a season. Cause we had just talked about this as like a, no, there will be. No, there won't be. Yes, they can agree. No, they can't agree. But the <laughs> pandemic, like I, Andy, I don't even dare get excited for things anymore. <laughs> I know. I was just saying that to you actually pre-show. I was like, um, I'll talk about this when we're recording, but I have decided that I'm going to not get excited about stuff because the second I do, it's like someone knows that it's the right moment just to pull that rug out from underneath me. And then it's just all done. So yeah, I mean, obviously there are some major concerns about baseball announcing its return. And, you know, if we even make it to see baseball, organized baseball, it would be a miracle as far as I'm concerned. And I would be extremely excited. But again, we have a ways to go and a lot of things to cover before that happens. So we'll just see what, how it goes and and what we end up with. Yeah. Okay. Let's jump into this a little bit. Um, So In case you missed it, since the last time we recorded, MLB said they had an agreement. The players said, no, you don't. MLB said, here's our final offer. The players rejected it by a vote of 33 to 5. And then MLB said, we're going to have a season, basically along the terms of our last offer, except we're going to give you less stuff because we're those guys. Um, The parameters for the supposed 2020 season, and we'll get into all of these in more detail, don't worry are a 60-game season where everybody basically plays only within their geographic division. So some of those games, most of those games would be NL Central games for the Cubs. They would play a handful of AL Central games, but they would not play any NL or AL team outside of the Central division. I imagine that is to reduce travel so that people aren't flying all over the country and back and forth and all of that jazz. And frankly, that'll be nice for them in terms of travel and time zones and stuff too. The roster sizes have been adjusted considerably. We'll talk more about that in a second. And the number of people who actually get to attend these games is substantially limited, like limited to the extent where Visiting TV broadcasters will not be watching the game in the in the visiting park. They'll be watching the game from their home park <laughs> and broadcasting remotely. I think I also read somewhere that the media crews who have generally had post-game and pre-game access to players are all going to get that access via Zoom. <laughs> like, this is a real closed shop, people. And it has to be. I mean, since... All of these back and forths have been going on. We have also found out that 10 players in the Phillies camp, or I'm sorry, seven players, 10 people uh, in the Phillies camp have been, have tested positive for COVID-19. That was down at their spring training facility in Florida. 
three Colorado Rockies players, including Charlie Blackman, have tested positive. A Toronto Blue Jays player has tested positive. We don't even have baseball back yet, and we've got all these positive cases, which is part of why at least I am tempering my excitement over the idea that a season is 100% done. Oh, 100%. And, like, I kind of half-jokingly made the comment last night when when the Rockies had announced that they had three players test positive and Charlie Blackman was one of them, I kind of made the joke, they've been there for two hours. Like, literally, they just announced baseball was back for two hours. But, you know, as as some of you may not know, these players have been working out at their facilities um, during quarantine and and when some of the restrictions were loosened up a little bit. So, you know, it's it just, it, it all, there is a lot, there is a lot to go through. I highly doubt that Sarah and I will be able to get through all of everything that they have put out there as far as all the different rules and restrictions and all the different things they're doing because of, of COVID. And it, there is a lot. So if, if you're really curious as to what's all out there, it is, I mean, I, I think I was somebody that retweeted it today. Um, the MLB official like um, operations release was yep. leaked today um, and it is 101 pages and I have skimmed through it a couple times. I have not read very much of it. It is, it is again, it's a lot, um, but it's all out there. I mean, you can definitely see what the plan is. Now, half of me thinks that this is um, a lot for nothing because I don't even know that we'll make it to see organized games. Um I just think already with all the tests, all the positive tests that have come back in just a small amount of time that we're already talking about bringing baseball back. I think it's a sign of things to come. I'm not trying to be negative, Nancy. Trust me, you guys know how much I want baseball back. But I think when it comes down to the health of the players and it comes down to the reality of the situation, I just think we need to need to keep it realistic. And, 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 you know, yeah, it would be awesome to be able to watch even just a shortened season, even if we only get to see 10 games, that's better than none. I just, I, I like, I will count the days down until we get there. I just don't know if it happens. Yeah. We're going to jump into a lot of the different elements of this, um, MLB release in terms of what the season looks like. I, I'm just going to stipulate off the top, and I'm doing this mainly because I've had conversations over the last 24, 48 hours where I feel like this needs to be stated at the top. I want baseball to happen more than just about anything, and I want it to happen safely. There is no world where I want players to be sick or their families to be in danger or anything like that. I think that the entire premise of the season coming back. And frankly, every other sports league season restarting again, too. Remember, it's not just baseball here. In fact, if baseball didn't come back, they would be the only team, not the only sport, not playing in 2020. So it's not like baseball is out on a limb here. They would be more out on a limb if they didn't play. Um, I want it to be safe, as safe as humanly possible. These restrictions that could keep players safe are a wonderful and great thing. I think there could very easily come a point before the first games where it becomes obvious that that safety is not possible. And if that happens, they might have to pull the plug on this entire endeavor. And if that happens with baseball, I don't know how you play any sport with higher contact, like (laughs) no idea how you play football in a world where you can't play baseball, but I'm sure that's a conversation for a later date. Let's, let's talk some specifics. Um, There will be a July 1st report date 
which as we're recording is a little bit less than a week away and an abbreviated camp, which some people are still calling spring training 2.0, which makes no sense to me because it's not spring anymore. The regular season would begin on July 23rd or 24th, depending on the, on your team. And there would be a 60 game schedule along the lines as to what I said before, where the majority of games are against your division. So 40 of those games would be against divisional opponents and the last 20 games are against your aligned central league. So for the Cubs, that would be the AL Central with the Royals, the White Sox, et cetera, et cetera. What do we think of this plan to get baseball back? I 100% think that this is the smartest way to go. It limits travel. Um, you know, obviously, vicinity-wise, you're keeping the players in a situation where if they have to travel on four wheels and not fly, then, you know, it's just, I think it just makes a little bit more sense. They're closer to home. Um, You know, I I like the idea and definitely, you know, you have to get your division play in. If you're still going to stick to the same playoff stature that you've had before, you have to get those division games in. And quite frankly, when you're um, using that to determine your your playoff teams, then that that has to be the most well traveled road. You know, like you have to definitely know in your division who the best teams are if that's who is going to go to the playoffs. In a sixty game season, a hundred percent that that's that's the amount of games you need to play against your division foes. It there's just no way around that. It, yeah, it seems like a lot for 60 games to 40 of them to be against your division. But again, you know, if this is determining who they're going to, you know, crown as, you know, the World Series champions later this year, then you have to have a firm grasp on who the best team in the division is. And there's no other way to do it, especially because, you know, there's just so many factors that aren't going to come into play this year um, that, it's just, it's got to be an even playing field for everybody. And I really think that seeing these teams as much as you're going to see them, I think that is going to give you the best, best way to determine who, who, who the best team is. And, you know, we've discussed this on other podcasts and we've discussed this on our podcast. And I still think, and this is obviously a conversation we'll get into, I'm sure many times over before the season starts, but I still think this shortened season is going to benefit teams differently than a long season would. And you're going to see different, and maybe not, maybe you'll see the one, you know, power team, you'll see like still the Dodgers just, you know, crucify everyone, although they had a slow start last year. So, um, but you're going to see some different teams kind of um, coming out of, of the race a little bit faster. And, when you think about a 60 game season, that race is a sprint. It's not, it's not, it's not a long race. And so that's what concerns me, but excites me at the same time. So if we do actually see a season, I see this benefiting the Cubs in a couple different ways, but also I see it could, could go the wrong way quickly if, if they let it. Yeah. A hot start is going to be super important. Let's talk about what those rosters are going to look like. Cause I think this is just kind of fascinating and I'm really intrigued by the whole thing. So there's a recognition that just having a couple of weeks of summer camp, I guess, I don't know, playing in the summer, <laughs> spring training 2.0, whatever the heck we're going to call it. Preseason. Preseason. pre-season. Yeah. Preseason games. These preseason games are not going to be as long as a traditional spring training Uh, So each club gets a 30-man roster for the first two weeks. That gets limited to 28 
players for the next two weeks and then 26 for the remainder of the season. Interestingly, the every team is going to have to submit a 60-player list of players who are eligible to play in 2020, which is basically your 40-man roster plus 20 additional guys who you could call up in the event that somebody gets sick or hurt or things need to change, which I think that in and of itself is going to be a really interesting look to the MLB season. We've really never seen anything like this. And then the last thing I'll say before I ask uh, for your reaction, Andy, there will still be a trade deadline. It'll be August 31st. In order to be eligible for the postseason, you have to be on the roster by September 15th. I think I got the logistics about roster makeup and the trade stuff out of the way. What do we think? So, yes. And I, listen, it took me a couple a couple of maybe five, ten times <laughs> um, reading over that to really understand what was happening. Because it's a lot of numbers and a lot of different numbers than what we're used to. But I, I honestly, I really like how they're doing it. Um, there's not a whole lot of options on how to make this make sense. Um, the trade deadline, I think is just simply to put it out there. I honestly, with the situation and, um, you know, a a pandemic happening, I don't think you see a lot of trades happening. I, I honestly, I think that's just a technicality that they need to make sure this out there. I honestly don't see that making a ton of difference down the line. Um, as far as like your 20 players that are like your taxi squad, I think basically for me, that makes sense because these guys aren't going to see action anywhere else. So to be able to pull them into major league action at some point during the season, I think makes sense. You have to try and work them in, especially these are people that you're worried about their development and they're on a, on a trajectory to get to the major leagues. And this season is really going to put a kink in that, in that plan and, and how they see that working out. So of course, the goal for some of these guys who would never normally see major league time is to get to a place where, you know, maybe they're a single A player who's they hope to have in double A by the end of the season or double A moving into triple A by the end of the season, whatever the case may be. They can't do that without any kind of action, without any kind of live action. And, you know, the, these guys will be very, very um, deliberate on how they pick who these guys are. And I think it's going to be really cool, though, for some of these kids. And you're going to see a lot of, um, you know, heartstring stories happening where these kids would never see a major league at bat, maybe, possibly, see major league at bats. So, um, or major league innings, you know, even if it's pinch running or or an inning in the field, whatever it may be. I really actually like this. And I think... um, you know, I don't see it sticking. Obviously, it's not something that can stick after this season, you know, barring we go back to a normal season next year. I just think it's really cool how they're able to put this together and make it make sense for some of these minor leaguers who otherwise would not be seeing any kind of live baseball. Yeah, I actually want to stress that point that you made, which is that there is not a projected minor league season that is going to occur at the same time as the major league season this year. So This is a way to make sure that your top tier minor leaguers get any action whatsoever, because otherwise they would not be playing baseball right now, which is a huge development question for the future of the sport. But we'll save that for another day. I want to talk about some uh, rule changes that are coming soon (laughs) to a ballpark (laughs) near you. So. Let's recall, first of all, that the three batter minimum thing was already going to happen. So that's not a new rule. 
the one rule that they did say was going to change in the offseason that they took back, if you recall, they made a rule against position players pitching. They decided not to do that this season. I don't know why. <laughs> I have no idea why that. I, I mean, I've seen it speculated that the rationale was that somehow you might need Victor Caratini to pitch in a short season in case long game. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. Um, here are the rules that are coming that are actually different. National League, you have a DH. Andy, how do you feel about a National League DH? Oh, good God. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> listen, I've been tr- I've been biting my tongue the entire time you're talking about this because I just want to scream, I do not want the DH in the National League. I get it. I get the argument for it. I get why it makes sense. I get that that is something that people have been playing for for a very long time. I get that on a team like the Chicago Cubs, where you have a Kyle Schwarber, who's basically a given, and you have also people like Victor Caratini, who is a backup catcher, who could also be a pinch hitter. I get it. I get it. I That doesn't mean I have to like it, okay? In an extended normal, I'm going to say extended because compared to 60 games, 162 games is extended. In a normal extended season, no way. I'm fighting this tooth and nail. I am on the ground kicking and screaming. Because I am a beggar at this point, I cannot be a chooser. So if it means I have to live with DH in the National League for a 60-game season, I'm going to get by. And we've seen in the past things that I've had very strong opinions on be sway my decisions by the end of the season. So this is something I very well could come to grips with. Maybe it's something where it comes into play where our designated hitter wins a game or three for us. Then I'm definitely on board. I'm not going to be mad about that. But I also it also makes me a little sad that we've seen the last John Lester bunt. We've seen... You know, like the last you Darvish get up there and foul off 15 balls in an at-bat. I mean, it, it, stuff like that makes me a little a little sad. And I hope I haven't seen the last of it. But I understand that I very well could have. I don't love it. And I'm going to just plain out and say I don't love it because I feel like it is basically breaking down the fiber of what baseball is. Baseball to me is everybody hits, everybody plays, everybody does what everybody is supposed to do. Pitchers should still be hit should still be hitting. They're baseball players. When you're a pitcher, when you're younger, you're not given an option to not hit. You hit, right? It's I know that there's people that are just good at hitting and there's people that are just good at pitching. But old school, like traditional baseball, going back, however long you want to go back, everybody hits, everybody plays the field. It, it's just it's just part of I'm a very I'm a traditionalist, not in every sense of the of the word, but for the game of baseball, I love watching pitchers bat. Think back on some of the the most amazing pitcher at bats that we've seen. There's been quite a few. We've had a few. I don't know what it would be like to not have that. Like that would be really that would be kind of sucky to be an American League team and not be able to talk about Travis Wood hitting a home run into left center. Like, do you remember that? Like that was amazing. I get great. goosebumps yeah. still thinking about that. Um, it, it just stuff like that. It just really bothers me. Obviously I'm very passionate about this part of the game, <laughs> but like I said, I am a beggar right now, so I will not be a chooser. I will happily take the DH in the national league. If we can have a 60 game season. Yeah. I mean, I hear you on the DH and I prefer the national league game. I like the strategy behind it. I like suicide squeezes and bunts and all that type of stuff. I guess I just, 
I don't know. I, the DH is not a make or break for me. I, maybe it's because I've watched the Red Sox for too long. And maybe it's because I love David Ortiz. And maybe it's because I really, really, really want to see what Kyle Schwarber can do just mashing baseballs for a while. But I understand the people who are super upset about the DH. And to let you all know that I understand it, I will rant about the rule that is just driving me absolutely in- insane <laughs> right now, which is this... I don't even understand why they think this is a solution. So the minor league rule that starts a runner at second in extra innings uh, is now in effect in the major leagues for reasons. Apparently, Rob Manfred is worried we're going to have too much baseball in 2020. Can't have any (laughs) extra baseball. Got to end those extra inning games as quickly as possible. So they're going to try to like artificially create some sort of, I don't know, extra innings run scenario by starting runners on second at the start of every extra half inning. It's dumb. I think it's really dumb. I'm not happy about it. The designated runner rule is dumb, but I'll take it. If I get some baseball, I'll take starting some random guy on second base for hashtag Manfred reasons. (laughs) So you're in the exact opposite spot that I am with this because I actually don't mind this. Um, a couple of, <laughs> I don't, and, and only because I'm going to say only because I think you are, um, you're already kind of, you know, it's a 60 game season. They want to get as much baseball in. I mean, if you remember last year, all the rainouts we had that had to be made up, that's a concern too. I mean, you want to preserve these athletes as much as you can and I'm mostly speaking as pitchers. I think it's probably their concern that, you know, it's going to speed things up. It's going to probably prevent games from going into the 17th, 18th inning where you're, but you're also going to see a lot more sacrifice bunts. You're going to see a lot more sacrifice flies, um, you know, stuff like that when you're, when you have somebody on second trying to get into score in, in the 10th inning. So um, quite frankly, I'm surprised that they didn't say we'll give the batter one one ball, one strike, and one out. Because <laughs> it, it just it seems so ridiculous to me that this would be happening in Major League Baseball in 2020. But again, we're beggars. We're not. We can't be choosers. You know, we just kind of have to roll with it. Yeah, that resonates. I mean, I just don't. I don't like this rule because it feels too much like MLB trying to get like penalty kicks or like shootouts or something into their oh. sport. And the entire yeah. point of baseball is that there's no clock and that's, we don't have shootouts and sudden death. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's all part of trying to break down the, the, the old traditional game fiber of, of baseball that it once was, you know, it's it just Rob Manfred, his way of, of hating baseball just that much more. Rob Manfred truly does hate baseball, as our friend Danny Rocket proved in a great song that you should go check out on Twitter or YouTube if you are so inclined. Uh, We're going to take a quick break for our sponsors. There's a lot more to talk about in terms of what baseball may or may not look like in 2020 if it does indeed actually happen. So stick with us, but first a quick break. All right, I'm going to start with the projections that have come out so far about what a 60 game season could look like played only within these geographic divisions. And frankly, 
Andy, this stuff is wild. Um, the NL Central is not the strongest division in baseball, but I think it is probably the division that has the most parity, which is why you see Fangraph's projections have just the entire division bunched up within five or six games of each other by the end of 60 games. What do you think baseball looks like in the NL Central? Oh, my goodness. I looked at that, and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. You have the Cardinals, the Brewers, and the Reds all basically with virtually the exact same records. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> right. That seems crazy to me. I just – I don't – I. I'm, I don't know. I think it. I think it is going to be close. Quite frankly, I think um, each of these teams have talent in areas that a sixty-game season is going to prove to be um, an advantage. And I think some of them are lacking it in places where it's going to be a disadvantage. So I really think you're going to see a tight division this year. You're going to see, um, you know, the Reds are going to start to figure things out because they have the talent now. They've put together a pretty decent team, but. You know, we've seen in the past with teams that have done that, it takes, you know, maybe a half season for these guys to put it together, to gel, to get used to their, their you know, teammates. And, and they don't have that time. You know, half a season is 30 games, and you're looking at, you know, the, you're looking up from the basement already at that point. So, you know, and, and Milwaukee, it, it, I don't know. I feel like they always play with their pants on fire when they play the Cubs and the Cardinals. So you're also giving them the opportunity to to get off to a hot start, knowing that they have to. Otherwise, they're also going to be they're going to fall real fall far down in the standings real quick. Um, I think the the thing that I'm most excited for, and we've talked about this a little bit, is to see how the Cubs come out day one under a new manager and with some aging players on the roster that we know or don't know how long, how much longer they're going to be around. This could be their last go round. So for me, that, that for me, that makes me think a little bit that they're going to come up completely fired up and ready to go right out of the gates because they know what it looks like when they don't. And they have a start to a season like last year where it was dismal and it was awful. And if you think about it, I think at one point they were like, I don't know, weren't they like seven and 21 or something like something Uh, like really real bad, really (laughs) bad. If you think about that, that's half of the 2020 season. They can't do that and expect to do anything with the season. So I think it's going to be a very interesting season. And, you know, we can we can say how things could or could not happen all we want. But really what it comes down to is is honestly how these guys mentally approach the season because I think that is going to be a huge factor in how how the the season is is started for all of these teams you know some of these guys may be like eh, it's fine you know we're playing we're playing an aging Cubs team we're playing you know Milwaukee who we've always owned we're playing the Reds who you know they're good on paper but are they really good it, it, to me, it just, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I really can't wait to see how it goes, but I just think that there's, like I said, several areas of each team that I think it could be beneficial for them for a 60-game season. But at the same time, if they don't figure that out until too late, then, you know, it, they're going to make it easier for everybody else. Yeah. One of the things that was really interesting in 2019 that 
I remembered as you were talking about the ways that the NL Central could sort of play each other and come together. I really felt like the other NL Central teams had built themselves to compete against the Cubs, which is why the Cubs did not have a great record within their division in 2019. And so I am a little nervous about a schedule that is so division play heavy. Now, I imagine that the front office was aware of that when they went back to the drawing board before 2020, and that some of the moves that they made were designed to sort of combat some of the weaknesses they had against division opponents, weaknesses that they had on the road. But if you get out to like a real slow start, it's going to be so hard (laughs) to claw your way back. And if you have systemic weaknesses against certain teams or, or there are certain divisional opponents who have really figured out your number, I mean, I'm looking at you, Reds, who Andy and I could not figure out like why the Cubs could just not beat the Reds to save their lives last year. I think that could be problematic real fast. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Like I said, they look really good on paper, but, and they, and, you know, they've added to their team since, even since last year. So um, not to, to get anybody all crazy worried or anything, but it's, you know, it's still a dynamic of a team and how they mesh on the field and the dugout and all those good things that still comes into play, especially in a shortened season, because you have no choice. And your interaction with your teammates is going to be limited because of the pandemic. So it just, there's going to be a lot of different factors. And I think the the one thing that a lot of people are going to be watching so closely is the David Ross situation with the Cubs, because he is a new manager. This is a completely different situation than what he's been preparing for. So, you know, is he going to be able to come out and and manage this team to a, a decent 60 game season And what happens if he doesn't, you know, what happens if he loses guys, what happens if, you know, they don't respond the way that he's hoping they do to what he's doing. It's just, there's just so many, so many things up in the air with this. I'm just really curious to see how it all pans out. I actually have a hunch that being a new, and this is like totally just me, like riffing off the top of my head right now, people. So please don't hold this against me later if it doesn't turn out to be true. But I have a hunch that being a first-term manager going into a weird season like this is actually better than being a guy who has like managed for 20 years going into a season like this. You get into routines when you've done a job for a really long time and it gets hard to see ways that you can adapt or things can improve or things you could take advantage of and I just think that that David Ross being in his first year managing might actually be a huge asset for the Cubs because he's going to be able to set the tone in a new environment, figuring things out a new way. And he's not going to have a lot of preconceived notions as to what that should have looked like before. I, yeah, I, I tend to agree with you because yeah, if you think about the way that Joe did things, you know, well, he probably sits down with his, with his desktop calendar and says well, about the, the sixth road series, then we'll do our, you know, dress up like your favorite basketball player road trip or something. You know what I mean? Like it's, <laughs> it's very like mapped out on how he does stuff throughout the season. So having to adjust down to a very sh- short season, you know, it, that's probably quite an adjustment for him, especially with a new team. So that will be another one I'll kind of keep an eye on too, because, um, you know, there's been a lot of manager changes throughout the season um, in the off season here coming into the 2020 season, it'll be interesting how those teams respond and what they're able to do. And I tend to agree with you that it definitely benefits the Cubs that David Ross is a first time manager 
going into this weird season because yeah, he's definitely he doesn't doesn't really have anything set in stone, I assume, and he's kind of learning as he goes and this is definitely something that he's going to want to, you know, kind of be fly by the seat of his pants or be a little bit more open to to things that come his way during the season. Yeah, let's uh, jump into the pandemic and ways that things will look super different in 2020. I'm just going to, this is just some highlights from the protocols that are in place to try to prevent the spread of COVID-19 through the league. This is not all of them because frankly, we don't have that kind of time, people, and you don't want to just hear me read a list on this podcast. Uh, Players and coaches and support staff, pretty much anybody who's entering the ballpark will be tested every other day throughout the duration of camp 2.0, the regular season and the postseason, they will also have temperature checks twice a day and they will have antibody testing conducted once a month. They are, you are not going to see your players sitting next to each other in the dugout anymore. Those days are gone. They will be sitting in the stands nearby uh, at least six feet apart from each other. Everyone will be wearing masks except the players at all times. They're not going to do any kind of anything that gets you to handing off something with another person except for the ball going to the catcher. And But what I mean by that is no lineup exchanges, no high fives. Like I, I am actually really excited to see how players celebrate something like a home run when they can't give each other a high five or crowd around the plate or anything. Like I think the first walk-off celebrations are going to be one of those things that we'll want to document till the end of time. And and my personal favorite before I get your reaction from all of this, Andy, is that fights are strictly prohibited because (laughs) apparently before bench clearing brawls were only loosely prohibited and kind of (laughs) discouraged, but now they are strictly prohibited. I have no idea what that means and neither does anybody else. Well, and just to kind of, not poke fun at the situation, but if we can't laugh at ourselves, then what can we do? Um, But like no spitting, like really you're going to tell baseball players who have been doing this all their life, no spitting. Like I want to see what happens the first time someone's caught spitting. Like what are they going to (laughs) do? I don't know. I'm intrigued. Yeah. and, And I'm visualizing like, you know, how we see guys when they get touchdowns in football, they're in the end zone doing their little touchdown dance. I'm visualizing walk-off dances is what I'm visualizing. So I'm actually kind of excited about this also. And I didn't think about that until you mentioned it. But, yeah, that's that's crazy. I I mean, like, all the little handshakes and stuff that they do, can't do that anymore. That's just so strange to me. Just so strange. So, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how this all works. The whole testing, and I know they're testing for antibodies and all that good stuff, they have to do that. There's no way around that. That is just part of putting this all together and making this happen. If they want to keep everybody safe, if that's going to be something that remains a priority, which obviously it has to, then that's just, they just have to do that. I mean, that's just the way it is. Another thing I read that it was quite interesting. They're going to have um, a separate IL for coronavirus. So there's no, no set amount of days, um, minimum or maximum. There's no set amount of days and a player cannot return until they come back test negative twice. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be, you know, and the IL is, is instead of doing um, a 60 day, now they're doing a 45 day. So that stuff is going to be interesting as well. And that's definitely part of 
how this virus has affected the way that baseball is returning. Yeah, absolutely. I totally forgot about the IL stuff. I'm glad that you mentioned that. I mean, that's going to be, it's going to be really interesting. It's it's also interesting to me that, you know, you're going to have players who are asymptomatic, who may not even feel sick, who are not going to be able to play because they tested positive for COVID. And I, and I am for that. Like, I think that's a really smart way to go about this, but that testing regime in and of itself is going to take a ton of time and effort and monitoring. And one of the things that I wrote about a while back when they first started talking about what this testing regime might have to look like in order to make baseball happen, I wonder, it it, it makes me uneasy that we're spending that amount of resources to make sure that sports happen, but we can't do that to make sure that school happens or to make sure that emergency room personnel are tested and know what's going on. I, I think that this is a I don't want to get too like political or anything here, but but from a social commentary standpoint, I am uneasy that we're willing to invest that type of time, those types of resources into sports when we're not willing to invest those types of resources into the everyday, basic, most valuable functions of society. I mean, having three children at home now since March, um, online schooling with the possibility of not returning in person until... God knows when. I obviously agree with you. It's such a, you know, a hard reality to face when you have people around you all the time that are in situations where it would really do them some good to know. And it's just not possible. It's just not accessible. And it's, yeah, I mean, not to get too political as well, but it's just, it it is kind of, um, I don't know, an eye opener, if you will, that they can go to the lengths that they're going to, to have these people play a sport when, you know, this is real life that some of us deal with and could really, could really um, benefit from those research, those same resources. So, yeah, I mean, I get it, but at the same time, it's like, come on, you know, I mean, we're all in this together and yes, people would do just about anything for baseball, but there is a large contingent of people that are still very upset that this is happening at the cost or at the expense of people not knowing, you know? So, I mean, Again, you know, it, it, it makes sense. And it's definitely something to think about, too. Yeah, I'm I'm really not happy about the resource disparity question here. But that is that is definitely a conversation for a different podcast. Let's end this one on a high note, particularly since we are maybe kind of actually cautiously optimistic that baseball might occur. Another thing that is definitely going to occur on Thursday is Hot Stove Cool Music, which is the... Annual signature fundraiser for Theo Epstein's foundation to be named later, which, by the way, best foundation name in the history of foundations. And it's happening virtually this year, which I think is sort of cool because this is an event that I have wanted to attend multiple years now. And I haven't been able to either because of travel or because of costs or because of a bunch of things. But now, if you're a Cubs fan, if you're a music fan, you can sign up to help the foundation to be named later provide scholarships and opportunities for youth in underserved neighborhoods in Chicago and Boston for the low, low cost of $5. And you can watch some pretty great artists and some of your favorite baseball players come together for a great cause. And it is Thursday night at seven o'clock central. Andy, what do you think about hot stove, cool music? Well, I, (laughs) 
I am super excited because, yeah, obviously me living in St. Louis, I don't have the opportunity to attend a lot of the benefits and stuff that happen in Chicago. And I most definitely would love to spend my charity dollars, you know, contributing to those. So, yeah, I am definitely excited about this. I think it's such a great idea and a great cause, obviously. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't wait. It's, it's going to be a really cool, cool show. And I mean, for a great cause, how can you go wrong there? Totally. And you can see the likes of Common, Steven Tyler, the Dropkick Murphys, Brian Dempster, David Ross, and my my guy, David Ortiz, Big Poppy, will be there as well. So definitely check that out. Uh, I have an article up on Bleed Cubby Blue right now where you can see all the ways to get a ticket, to be involved, how you log in, all that stuff. And there's a wicked cool charity au- auction that has a lot of stuff on it that I definitely can't afford to bid on. But if you are the type of person who can bid on the ability to throw out a first pitch at Wrigley Field or Fenway, you know, when they let fans back in eventually, or a VIP Boston Bruins experience, you should do that because the money will go to a great cause. Can I um, can I stop you for a second? Because I have not read your piece on this yet. Did you say common? Yeah, I did. Oh, I love common. <laughs> <laughs> He's awesome. That's all you had to say to me. I love me some common. Oh, yay. Now I'm really excited. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty star-studded lineup. And they usually host this event at the Metro uh, right when the Cubs are about to finish up a series. So now everybody will have access to it since it's virtual. Obviously, it won't be quite the same as cramming into the Metro and watching Peter Gammons and Theo Epstein jam. But it looks like it's going to be an outstanding event. I'm really excited about it. Definitely check it out. And remember that it's a way that your dollars can go to help a great cause. I do want to say, particularly since we have been outspoken about this for the last couple of episodes, I think Theo Epstein has done a pretty good job of saying that he needs to do more and to specify what those things are. So I'm excited to support his foundation and see what the foundation to be named later does for youth in Boston and Chicago. I want to add to that because I saw somebody else post this and I never actually put it together, but just in, in the past couple of months, the way that I've seen Theo take a stand for some things and say things and do things that I did not expect him to do outside of um, the ownership group. I would love to see someone like him be the commissioner of baseball because he obviously is a good human and he actually does love baseball. So (laughs) Not a bad idea to have somebody like that as the person running the sport that you love. So just a thought, just throwing it out there. That's our guy. Commissioner of baseball. I thought you were going to say president of the United States. And I was going to say, yes, I would vote for Theo Epstein for president of the United States. Baby steps, baby steps. Yes. (laughs) I mean, obviously, obviously we share very similar views. So I would not mind him in the, in the position of president of the United States, but baby steps, we need baseball. So we need a good commissioner. (laughs) We, we need him in that spot first. So, Theo, if you listen to the show, we know you're an avid Cup of Cubby Blue listener. And we don't know that. I'm making that up off the top of my head. But seriously, Theo, if you're listening to the show, you're looking for people to run your exploratory committee. Theo Epstein, 2024. Andy and I are the people for you. Uh, In the meantime, while we wait for Theo to declare his political ambitions, you can find us on Twitter at at Cup of Cubby Blue. I'm at BCB underscore Sarah. Andy is at BRYZ underscore Blue. We are both at Cup of Cubby Blue. And we are cautiously optimistic that maybe, kind of, sort of, there might be baseball to talk about next week. Fingers crossed. We miss you, Cubs.